Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 33, ESL, Dead on Arrival. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I think it's fitting that we started last episode off getting right into the Super League that I was thought of a great quote by the famous accountant Oscar Martinez, who once said, just like that, as mysteriously as he arrived, he was gone. And while we're not talking about Michael Scott, we are talking Super League fallout after we dedicated almost an entire episode about how it's going to change the landscape of European football as we know it. And it turns out it fizzled. You almost sound really, you almost sound really bitter that we dedicated like a lot of time to a seismic change in world football. Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the a other little issue. frustrating. We, we dedicated yeah. the time and then literally the next day there was the fallout. Yeah. And also the other thing to that too. Oh, and you think that's frustrating, Frank. Try being the person who edits them and then find that more frustrating. <laughs> but uh, when you started that quote, even when you said Oscar Martinez, I didn't put the office connection together. So I thought you were really quoting like some famous accountant. <laughs> and it was like, Good. oh no, no, it's, it's from the office. That's what I was going for. I, I think it timed perfectly. We got great content on Monday. We got great content today because we get to talk about the aftermath of why it went wrong that's the question though i guess we can start off did did it i feel like everyone's seeing this as a victory for for football which i think it is i mean on on monday when i spoke about how i thought the european super league was dangerous and the damage it could cause i don't i'm not like pivoting to play like devil's advocate here but it does feel a little bit as if everyone goes Oh, good news. We've defeated the capitalists. Like uh, money is no longer a big thing in football. We can go back to that totally level playing field where a new team wins the Premier League each year and everyone gets their turn <laughs> in the Champions League. Like it does feel a little bit as if everyone's kind of overlooking the fact that fundamentally the game, you know, is kind of stacked in favor of the big teams anyway. And okay. there seems to be a little too much as if we've. Oh, well, you know, it's just another year where Lake Orient are going to get a couple of promotions and win the Champions League soon enough. So let's all prepare ourselves for that. <laughs> Why you got to go after the O's, Eddie? <laughs> I'm not, but it's, it does feel a little bit. And, you know, we spoke about when we talked about the media companies and like Sky really taking on uh, the European Super League, which was just because Sky wasn't involved in the European Super League. But if anyone can take any blame for the way in which money has come into football and radically changed the landscape, I mean, Sky has as much blame as pretty much anyone else. But they were really playing this sense of like, what are you talking? This is unfair. You can't possibly just start pumping money to select yeah. clubs and then seeing what happens. It- it is kind of weird that like this has suddenly been portrayed as like a victory for the little guy, like, Oh, how fans stood up to these big club owners. And, but it's like, well, no, Everton are still a really big club. And like all these people kind of threw their support in and all these rich people who suddenly started like defending the everyday fan. It didn't really correlate. And I agree with you. It's like, okay, so we're back to normal. We're we're not going to do this anymore. So what next is the point, right? Because now everyone said, 
oh, is this like a wake-up call, realizing that some of these owners have got too much control, too much power? Um, do we need to look at the German model and bring fan, you know, the 50 plus one majority ownership in? That's never going to happen. Like, but but like what what now because of it? I, I just feel like it's impossible just to keep going. Like, okay, the Champions League's changing. Okay, so that's a big difference. But something has to change, right? I don't know what. But but something- the, the, the Champions League's changing to make it more like the European Super League that they wanted. Like yeah, they've, too, won, yeah. they've won, they've won with the in, Champions League changes. Like that's the thing, and we that gets overlooked now. In a sense, they've played this fundamentally. Their PR for this entire venture was horrific. They clearly didn't even put any effort into it. It's as if they came up with the idea on Sunday, but they've been planning it for months, but really yes. years. <laughs> I mean, Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid president, said that this particular version has been three years in the planning. But I mean, they've been discussing a European Super League as a concept for 15, 20 years. But it does feel as if they kind of made the decision on Saturday or Sunday. And then we're like, we better just make an announcement and tell everyone this is what we're doing. And that is also the thing that kind of annoys me is and worries me is that the apologies that are coming out aren't actually for the idea. They're kind of for the way that they presented it. Like when you listen to John Henry from Liverpool speak, it's the apology is kind of like, we made a mess of this, like, sorry for causing disruption. That's his apology. Yeah. <laughs> it's disruption. I love it's apologies. Not... It's, such a, it's such a politician's apology, isn't it? Like, yeah. I'm sorry you're annoyed. But it's also, <laughs> it's not, I'm sorry that we did something that could have, it, we, we shouldn't have tried to radically change the landscape of football. It's like, if we were going to try and change the landscape of football, we should have done it better. This is this is what I've learned from this. And that's what sorry, scares me. Sorry, our effort wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. And that's what scares me more is almost feels like this would be a sort of first attack. And now you've learned, like, oh, this is what their defenses are like. This is how they're going to react. So when we do this again, 18 months from now, we're going to make sure we sell the fans a little bit more on a certain idea. Like we try and avoid this idea of no relegation, no promotion. That's what really annoyed people. Let's try and make sure it seems like a sport still. This is the thing. This is the thing that everyone really got upset by. And we can we can modify this a little bit and put the right messaging out before we launch it next time and and we'll get it through. Oh, I I, I the- completely agree. I, I think this this is going to be an ongoing thing now where they're just gonna keep trying to revamp, read the room, and then revamp again until it sticks. And the part that confuses me is the Real Madrid president. I was reading some of his comments. It sounded like, like the Super League still hasn't technically folded, just that yeah. the yeah. Premier League teams are out and they're kind of, the other teams are still, so, you know, like going well, ahead. Fish, officially, both the Milans are out, Atletico Madrid are out, and the English clubs are out. It is just Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus that have well withdrawn. You, you say officially, but if you listen to Florentino Perez... They're not officially out because as far as he's concerned, they've signed a contract and they'll need to pay a penalty to the other clubs. The way he's made it seem is as if there was a clause in the contract that said, if you want to remove yourself from the European Super League, you're going to have to pay X amount to to, to void this contract. Seemingly, none of these clubs have paid this amount. So who knows? But Florentino is collecting money now. What a great move. But Florentino Perez, I mean, he's either a total loony or 
he is just adamant. He's the one guy who's gone, screw him. I'm not giving into this popular thing. We all know we're going to do this. And I'm just going to keep saying it's coming. And he's a loony. He's coming across he? as some sort of martyr is that's trying to save football. He just keeps saying, I'm saving football. Well, yeah, because young people don't watch football. Yeah, apparently not, <laughs> even though the TV, even though it's kind of booming. But I, I just don't get, like, he's almost like becoming like a slight gossip monger to the whole thing as well. He's like, oh, there was one English club, I won't say their name, that was never really in it from the start. And yeah, it's becoming a real circus the kind of media around this at the moment, because now that it's already a circus and it's clearly not happening. Yeah. Now it's just a bit of a joke. Perez. Is it though? This is the thing is I think, and this is the thing that would worry me is that people are like, look at this idiot. Why don't they shut him up? What a joke. And if these are all billionaires, billionaire businessmen, they're not idiots. Florentino Perez is a billionaire. Like let's stop. This is like the Donald Trump thing where it's like, there is a moment in time you do not become this successful by being this dumb. So don't overlook the fact that they have decided one of us has to keep saying that this is the real thing because we're going to come back to this. We're going to revisit this. So if we all just pull out and say the European Super League concept is done, then when we relaunch this, everyone's going to say, you told us you'd never do this again. So maybe it's like Florentino Perez, you're going to be the fall guy. You're not in England, so you're not going to get the same backlash. You're Real Madrid, so everyone already sees you as money grabbing. And you're going to stand up and keep telling people the European Super League is coming. The European Super League is coming. And sooner or later, people are going to just stop listening. I, and then 18 months from now, the European Super League is coming. Yeah, I, you, you, I disagree. You, you, you took my thunder, Eddie. I was going to say, you keep saying he's an idiot and that he, he's just babbling. And then four years later, he's the American president. Yeah. <laughs> You, know, you do not become, <laughs> but you do not become a billionaire by just being a complete moron who just doesn't know when to shut up. It doesn't. Okay, here's a, this is the big problem though, because you look at the ownership of all of these clubs, right? And uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona are just club presidents. They're actually still fan owned. They just yeah. elect these presidents. Yeah, so yeah, Perez was... now, Perez now becomes touchable, right? Because he's been completely untouchable but, in these but, elections. Sam, Perez still stays a billionaire. I think he, like, yes, he can lose the Real Madrid presidency, but he is still going to be a billionaire with incredible yeah. business power, with incredible connections within football. Like mm-hmm. he can lose the Real Madrid presidency. Ed Woodward can stop being chief executive at Man- chairman of Manchester United. He's still an incredibly wealthy, very powerful businessman with every connection you would ever need in football to get something done. Do you think anything happens to ownership as no. a result of this? No. In any league, in any no. change. No, why? The, the, in, it's the same in politics, right? The hardest thing in the world is to make people give up power when they don't have to. They, they're going to oh. do the thing. They're going to be fall guys. And these fall guys are meaningless, like Ed Woodward. Now they're now spinning it. You know, Ed, Woodward, Ed Woodward's latest Ed, spin is that is now he, that he was against it. Because yes, because he was against the European Super League and he resigned before they stopped being in the European Super such League. Such a snake. He's such a little snake. <laughs> That's awesome. But, <laughs> oh, great spin. So, and Manchester United have probably gone, good, okay, Ed, Ed, you've lost your job. Now you can make yourself try to look like a good guy. No one's really going to believe you, but you can just, you, we're, we're, we're fine with you spinning this yarn. And everyone looks good, right? Like we say we got rid of the guy who all the fans hated, who was the, you know, the kind of the one everyone targeted all of their rage at for the ownership. 
we got rid of him. We'll put someone else in place. The fans will be back on side within six months. You can go back and work for JP Morgan or whatever and make tons of money and tell everyone how you were never on side with the idea in the first place. Win, 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 win. And in 18 months from now, European Super League. Win, win, win. Another great office quote. Good job, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and so I guess, you know, the repercussions that you touched on, and that's going to be the interesting thing. So there's discussions about the possibility of points deductions, never going to happen. There's possibility of fines, never going to happen and don't really matter. And then, and the reason why neither of those things, well, it doesn't, I mean, oh, oh dear, Sheikh Mansour is going to be fined. How on earth is he ever going to put that money together? Oh, Roman Abramovich is going to be fined. I guess he, poor, poor him. Well, he only one super yacht purchased this year, I guess. But like the, they're never going to find them because it's the same way. It's like, impo- it's like imposing, uh, you know, restrictions on actual countries and embargoes and things. You, you don't punish the people actually making a decision. So if you, if you find, if you do points deductions, you're only going to p- really punish the fans. The rest of them don't care. And I guess are, you could argue maybe the players, but I don't think they even the players really care. care. Do they really? Yeah. They'll do lose- they really? X amount of bonus, maybe not play in Europe. Oh, they, w- I bet you they wouldn't. I bet you they wouldn't because I bet you if they, if a lawyer then went forward and said to the club, like, look, we've only missed out on this bonus because you were all idiots. The players delivered on the pitch and got the performances necessary for these bonuses. So they're never going to miss a bonus. So the only ones who would really lose out there are fans. So the only thing that I've heard spoken about, and this to me is the most ridiculous non-punishment punishment I've ever seen, is that they've spoken about how we're going to remove people representing these clubs from committees. This is how we're going to punish them. So we're going to take them off the audit committee of the Premier League. We're going to take them off the rules committee of, the, of this. Oh dear, what on earth are Manchester City going to do now that they don't have a firm, like a yep. constant representative I- on the audit committee? I love the irony of that scenario as well, because it was like, okay, Agnelli can't be on, you can't be in the ECA anymore. You can't have your advisory committee role. We're going to give it to the guy that runs PSG. And we're going to give it to the guy that runs Bayern Munich. It's like, Bayern oh, Munich okay, I'm so- fine with. I'm fine with Bayern. The German clubs, I'm fine with. Great clubs. Yeah. Great clubs. Moral Rare moment, clubs, right? If we've ever seen them. Germany just look, looking great. You know, it's taken them what, 80 years to recover, but football's going to do it for them. But they're... Wait, you know, this is it. 2020, this is, it. This is yeah. the recovery. <laughs> this is when it's now going to be inappropriate for England fans to go to a next World Cup and sing two World Wars and one World Cup. It's now going to be... Or there were 10 German bombers in the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now it's going to have to be like there were 51% of German fans against the European Super League. Like, yeah. that's going to have to be... It's catchy. But... Uh, that uh, you know but yeah you're just kind of rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic a little bit with being like no no but nothing's going to happen sooner or later we're going to get the european super league in in one format or another and they will just learn from this this is a failed business venture and this is this is v1 right this is v2 will be coming out soon I thought we weren't talking about Germany. Yeah, it's not, a, not the best. Okay, I'll say Alpha and Beta. That's when that, we'll see the Germans. We'll see the Germans at the V two stage. That was the, the uh, first Beta version. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I see your point that, and also this is just, this has always been a concept, right? They have always talked about the European Super League in some shape or form. But I think there is a moment right now where associations have the ability to rein things in and they'll probably have the backing to do it. Whether they take it is a different matter or whether they even have the teeth to do it is another matter in itself. But I do think they have this window at the moment where if they do want to rest back that sense of control, whether that be monetization or whether it be kind of like external owners um, and fan control, this is probably the moment to do it. Whether I don't think do, it is. Different matter. I, I don't think it is because I think that's the worst thing you could do right now is because now these teams have have backed down and are slightly looking good for backing down from a decision they made in the first place, even though they shouldn't, you know, like now Chelsea kind of aren't, are in a decent light, you know, like, Oh, look, we're the, we're the club that ended up and backed down, even though they had signed in to begin with. If you start putting restrictions and altering them, then they have the reason to say like, listen, we backed out the first time and then you punished us. So you know what we're going to do now? Now we're going to resign on super league 3.0. I don't think you can do that. I think it's going to oh, look I'm, bad on, on everyone else except those clubs. No, I'm saying you make these rules applicable to everyone. Like, I'm not saying just target them, but you've got to do something as a result of this, right? You can't encourage people to do this in the future. Like, this is the point here. But I, I, but I agree. You can't, you, you can't treaty of Versailles this, can you? You can't punish <laughs> yes. them enough that in 20 years they're just going to go mental and funhouse mirror on you again oh we're gonna we're gonna turn manchester city (laughs) into the weimar republic this (laughs) is a whole new podcast super political history we're gonna yeah Yeah, it's fantastic we're going full german history here yeah basically a hundred years later nearly you know so we can really talk who who will be the hitler of of european football that's the real question in 20 years 25 he has to start he would be emerging in in two three right you know is it going to be a german Austrian. <laughs> so it's going to be like Salzburg or something like that. Yeah. But uh, look, I, I agree with you that it would be great if they did punish them. I just don't think that they will. It's going to be just these pointless banning people from committees. Who really cares? And we'll go I'd on. I'd love to be not... banned from committees. Yeah. It'll be the greatest we'll just, day of my week. Someone we'll told me I didn't on. have to participate in a useless committee. <laughs> we'll just go on as if nothing happened. And also, if you wanted to be even more cynical, the changes that they made to the Champions League would have received a major backlash had it not been for the fact that the European Super League came about and then that got squashed. And now the, oh, joy, we can enjoy the integrity of the Champions League. In spite of the fact that, I mean, the major change, right? So they've ch- completely changed the format. But in addition to that, they they are also guaranteeing two spots to the highest the clubs who did not who do not qualify for the Champions League, but have the highest coefficient UEFA coefficient, which basically means Barcelona can never miss out on the Champions League, Manchester City can never miss out on the Champions League. Liverpool can never miss out unless in some fluke year where three of them don't qualify for the league simultaneously. There is no way any of those clubs will ever miss out on the Champions League in the future. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting point because uh, Ronald Kerman, the um, manager of Barcelona, came back and he said, "Well, let's remember why they did this reform in the first place because it was about money. 
It was about trying to get more TV revenue in, appeasing, appeasing these bigger clubs. And those kind of concessions, like the one you've mentioned, did exactly that. So you can see the point. It's like not, not hypocrisy from UEFA, but it's interesting that they're screaming about how these clubs were just breaking away, trying to make money for themselves, when actually that's all you... That's all UEFA are trying to do with their reformatted Champions League is trying to bring more money in, more TV rights, more games and more opportunities for the bigger clubs to get in, even if they've had a bad season. Like that's what they've done here. Yeah. And, you know, during our last conversation, we spoke about how the motivation for a lot of this was the rising cost of running a football club, just the rising salaries that were people requesting. That's the change they need to make if they want to avoid the European Super League in the future. There has to, you have to put in place salary caps. You have to put some kind of transfer cost cap in place. You know, we are going to approach a time when someone spends 500 million pounds on a player and where players are earning 1 million pounds a week as a normal salary at any of these big clubs. And for clubs like Manchester City or Chelsea, it doesn't really matter because Sheikh Mansour can pay for it. Abramovich can pay for it. They don't use, they don't care about making money from the football club aspect. But for a club like Juventus that doesn't have that same level of external backing with just unlimited finances, not that I'm going to make out that Juventus are the, you know, going cap in hand to other, you know, European football, but they can't do that. And so, one way or another, we're either going to create a European super. We're going to because we the financial out of financial necessity, we'll either create a European Super League, or out of financial implications and wage structures and transfer costs, we won't create a we won't create sort of a, something an official European Super League. But we're going to limit the possibility of winning the Champions League to maybe three or four clubs: City, PSG, Chelsea. Even Real Madrid, Barcelona, as we can see with the tons of money they're losing and the financial trouble they're in, they can't keep up. Yeah. I mean, that's another reason behind it, right? The reason they haven't backed out is because of desperation of their sheer debts that they have, that they need. They needed this rather than seeing it as like some sort of like advancement of football in a structural sense. It's more just they need a way out of their debt problems at the moment and hoarding more money was one of those ways out. Um, well, well they, Real Madrid will be debt-free after everyone pays the fines for dropping out of the yeah. Super League and they're the last one yeah. standing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little Ponzi scheme they ran. Yeah. Well, Eddie, you mentioned the um, being able to qualify on the point system or whatever it is. Did you see who would have qualified for next season if it started? I mean, Liverpool for sure. Was it Liverpool and Chelsea? No. Really? Sam, I thought you'd have been most excited about this. Oh, so. Arsenal would have qualified if it started next season. Really? Yeah, Arsenal would have qualified next season. We're not even that decorated in the Champions League. Like, well, is there really you know, you no get one your else? Coefficient, your coefficient improves just by being in it every year. That gives mm-hmm. you a decent coefficient, right? And then We're if you're making... Like 15 in a row. And something. then you make the knockout stages and stuff of things, then again, that's improving your coefficient quite a lot. So it's also, that's the thing. It's a snake eating itself is oh, your coefficient is going to improve by being in it every year, but then the years you miss it, your coefficient are going to guarantee that you're in it, which therefore improves your coefficient. So like thereby ensuring you'll never miss out on it in the future because you've always been in it. So like that's the other issue, right? Leicester will never get in because they're going to, they're never going to qualify by the coefficient rule, which means their coefficient is going to be hurt. 
and, and yeah, it would have been other. Spurs and Arsenal. Okay. Which makes sense. Spurs made the Champions League final, so racked up some points that time. So when does that start? It's like two years from now, isn't it? It's the 2024 season. Yeah, that's when it comes into place. Now that the Super League has come and gone, what else is there to talk about? <laughs> it has. I, this must be a challenge. Obviously, for us, it's less of a challenge. We cover a number of sports, and we always find things to talk about. I will say Sky Sports News has peaked over the last few days. One of the rare moments where I've routinely just put Sky Sports News on. Because normally Sky Sports News is honestly repeating Sky Sports News in the morning for 12 hours and then repeating the <laughs> same afternoon Sky Sports News for another 12 hours and nothing else. Like if you've watched one 30-minute cycle, you will see that same 30-minute cycle on repeat for the next four or five hours. This at least was finally like, oh, we've got breaking news. We have someone else to come in with some information that you haven't previously heard. Yeah, it was, it, it was almost like the deadline day style. It was almost like, oh my God, we've got something new. Here's something else. We're going to go talk to this person. Yeah, Sky Sports is Sky Sports News. I remember when it first launched, it was a good thing. But now if there isn't a press conference, it's a slow day. <laughs> Other than that, sport got boring, right? I'm trying to think like postmasters. <laughs> Did we have much? Well, we've got some interesting, I mean, on the horizon, we've got a number of really interesting things coming. So it is a lull. I think it's a particular lull just because the Premier League, there were obviously matches played over the last couple of days, but the title itself is done and dusted. The top four is an interesting race, but you're kind of, even that's starting to sort itself out a little bit. You're kind of one place maybe up for grabs realistically same at the bottom so you kind of everything's i mean it's getting towards the end of the season you know the bundesliga bayern are going to win it syria inter Milan are going to win it la liga is up for grabs and psg are going to win Liga, but they're making hard work of it but they're going to win it um are they still behind i haven't seen the league yet actually they're, they're still, still behind, behind lille they're like yeah. a point behind weren't they yeah Ooh. I think I remember mentioning that about eight, 10 weeks ago. But I'm not so sure. That would be a good little squid-esque prediction. Yeah, they do are, have... They're one point behind with their 15 better off on goal difference. So obviously, wow. if, if, if they get level, it's over. But yeah, it's one point behind with uh, five matches remaining. So, I mean... It, Do they play each other? I... No, I don't think so because they uh, recently they recently played each other. So Lille's remaining fixtures, if a thrilling content for our French football fans <laughs> okay. out there, are are Lille, Nice, Lens, Saint Etienne, and Angers. So Lille, uh, Lyon is obviously a tough one. They're in fourth. Lens is a tough one. They're in fifth. So a couple of tough fixtures there. And PSG have Lens, who are obviously in fifth. Metz not so good. Ren, Rance, and Brest. So, is it Ren up there? Ren, Ren are seventh. Yeah. So, you just say you'd expect PSG to win out. To to win out, pressures on Lille. Win five games in a row. <laughs> that would be impressive. There we go. We've covered it. <laughs> There's Liga covered. One now. Well, I was going to say one of my favorite things is coming up next week, and that's the NFL draft. I love the NFL draft. So I've 
started, you know, like I, I like to do some readings about a week before because I hate when people put their mock drafts out six months before the draft, before like even the order is finalized. It's kind of pointless. But Bill Barnwell, not my favorite person on the planet, but every year he puts out a first round mock draft if every team traded their pick. So instead of picking a player, it's he proposes a trade for every team. My God. Yeah. When you know and, and, someone doesn't have enough to write about. Yeah. Oh, and of course, like there's a four paragraph intro about all the different indexes he uses and the latest analytics he's using. Just, you know, he's super, super smart. Like you don't even know what he's the data he's digging into. He's so smart. It shows in his picture. I know um, he's so I know the data. He's well, is he in like is he into like a scientist jacket with some glasses on? No, ima- uh, imagine someone who sits behind a computer for 20 hours a day. Imagine <laughs> the South Park character who with what the World of Warcraft guy. Yeah, that's <laughs> Bill Barnwell. And I feel really mean for like body shaping Bill Barnwell, but but fundamentally I, I mean, and look, if Bill Barnwell hears this, I apologize, but also you're more than welcome to come out that podcast and we can we can duel it out over your insane <laughs> comment that there's no such thing as uh as momentum. Uh, momentum in sports but so i i'll just do the first one because that's i think the most interesting one i went through most of them and once you get down they're not that interesting jacksonville jaguars if they were to trade their first pick this is the proposed trade bill barnwell says they will trade to the los angeles chargers so they'll trade their first pick and their third pick, which is the 65th overall, to the Jaguars for Justin Herbert, Derwan James, and their first round pick, which is the 13th pick. Who says no to that? Because I think the Chargers say no in a heartbeat. Wait, so who do you think says no? I think the Chargers Chargers say no. And I think like I think that's a very quick phone call. Like I think if you're the Chargers, you feel with Herbert that you have a franchise quarterback. So why on earth would you trade him to draft? And Derwin Williams, uh, Der- yeah. Derwin James, sorry. Yeah, to tra- trade someone to be like, let's hope we get another franchise quarterback who possibly might be a little bit better. Like, I don't, wait, so if he gets that wrong, doesn't it mean that most other things he's predicted are wrong? Well, none of the he's things- not, he's, no, he's, no, no, not he's not predicting, predicting. it's gonna happen. He's, he's not predicting. He's saying, oh, okay. if the team were so, to do this, it's like saying, hey, if Manchester United were going to sell Paul Pogba, who would they sell them to and for how much? Not saying, I've heard the news that Manchester United are going to be yeah, selling yeah. Paul Pogba to Fine. PSG. Fine. 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 But still, surely surely his hypotheticals still have to link up with each other. Because if they're oh, I'm sure. Picks. No way Bill Barnwell didn't have this fake universe make sense. Like He's not going to have Herbert traded multiple times, I'm assuming. Yeah. And the reason he's saying that this is how it would be is because if you're going to trade away the number one pick, you'd have to, in return, get a quarterback who you can almost guarantee is a franchise quarterback at this point. So he said, you know, it could have been like Deshaun Watson, but obviously not Dak Prescott, obviously not because he just resigned. And then out of the rest, you have Darnold, Locke, Hurts, Daniel Jones, not good does, enough. Out of, out of interest, not good enough. He, he says Deshaun Watson. He said it could have been Deshaun Watson. He said Deshaun Watson would have made sense, 
but the sexual allegations against the Texans means he's off the trade market for the time being. For the time being. the Texans. Yeah. Well, the whole, all and of then <laughs> he said Burrow's coming off a serious injury, puts him off limits. Tua's inconsistent as a rookie. You're left with five guys. Herbert, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, or Kyler Murray. I think to Kyler Murray is a little bit of a stretch. In fact, I actually think they all might be a little bit of a stretch, except Herbert and Josh Allen. There's no way the Bills trade Josh Allen. And you know another reason no, why No, that's the what Bills... I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's one of the only ones I would want is Josh Allen or oh, Herbert. You mean I don't know the... if I'd want Lamar Jackson over, over, um, over Sunshine. Uh, Trevor <laughs> Lawrence. Christ. I could leave his name for a second. Um, uh, I don't know. Personally, I think the same theory applies to both, which I'd, I, I prefer the known quantity. We're always, as sports fans and sports commentators and even people working on teams, you're always tempted by the unknown and the potential. Like the unknown quality quantity seems much more appealing, but fundamentally the smarter decision is to take the known quantity almost every time. So will... Trevor Lawrence be better than uh, most of the quarterbacks you named? Quite possibly. But there's also every chance he's significantly worse than every quarterback you just named. In which case, <laughs> it would be like, wasn't that crazy that they could have, they turned down a trade where they could have had, you know, player XYZ for that first pick. You know, the, and the other reason why the Bills would definitely never do it is because it's seemingly Josh Allen actually likes being in Buffalo. And you can't underrate that. Like if you are a franchise in not a huge market, cold place, maybe not everyone's dream place to be in. Josh Allen seems he wants to resign and he seems to like living there. And why on earth would you bring another quarterback in who four years from I now says hate Buffalo? <laughs> yeah, I, re I really wanted to be in Florida in the sunshine. This is awful. Yep. The Niners one, not so. Niners one was a boring one. It was to trade with the Falcons, basically swap picks with the Falcons and pick up also their third round pick. So the Niners would pick fourth and the Falcons would pick third. His reasoning was it seems like the Falcons know who they want and the Niners seem more open to either or. This is a theory I'm... I cannot believe is being perpetuated that the Niners don't know who they're picking. I don't understand how anyone thinks the Niners traded up to the three spot and traded three first round picks, obviously in exchange for one, but did all of that without fundamentally knowing who they wanted and being sold on that guy. I think I, I understand what you're saying, but I think also part of that has to be we're trading up they don't necessarily need to know who they want, but they're trading up to have the option to have the best that's there at the third pick. And then they can make that decision as to who that is. But then that means that the court, the, basically what you're saying there is that the 49ers have assessed the top five quarterbacks and decided that all five of them are franchise quarterbacks. I think after number one. No, but I mean, they have to, because they have to plan for every eventuality. Right. So they have to have looked at all five of those guys and said, any, if, if they haven't chosen one and thought we can definitely get this person at three or almost certainly get him at three, what they're basically saying is 
will be happy with any of these five. And we think that none, any of these five will be the future of our organization for the next 15 years. That's, I think they parse them. But, but I think you but partially have to think that though, because you don't know who the jets are taking. Right. Right. Because then why wouldn't you just trade to two? But they think they do know who they're taking. Like yeah. All the reports come out saying these, the first two are locked in. But so you're, surely what you're saying as well is that they're all of equal quality at the top as well, because Eddie's point makes sense about kind of like having five people at the top and going, well, it doesn't matter. You're equally then saying that all five at the top are of perfectly equal quality with our team. They no, must I th- know who they're getting. Well, I mean, I, th- I think you take Trevor Lawrence off the board because he's obviously not going to fall to three. And I think what they maybe thought was if you go two through five, they're almost of equal quality. I think. And we'll be no happy way. with any of them. No way. For the amount they gave up to get a player, if they're just like, well, we'll see who falls in our laps. <laughs> you know, anyone but then will who do. is it then? Just shut their eyes and smack a button. So I fear that it is mac jones because that's all anyone talks about and i fear that as a niners fan i dread i dread the thought of just taking the alabama quarterback who won games because he's surrounded by weapons and is in a great system with a great offensive scheme and he's probably really talented but not a great history of alabama quarterbacks transitioning to top quality nfl quarterbacks i don't think he'll be a bust but he won't to me he turns into Jimmy Garoppolo in my mind, like a quarterback who could get you to the Super Bowl, but not the quarterback who you're like, this guy is going to win us the Super Bowl. Whereas I hope that that was a slight smokescreen and it's Justin Fields. That's my, that's who you want. Yeah. Fields? I want Justin Fields. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with Justin Fields. I can understand if, if Justin Fields turns out to be a bust, I think you can defend the logic of making the move up and kind of taking the gamble. But if you take Mac Jones, because the other thing that's crazy too is Mac Jones is going to be available at five or six or seven if they hadn't traded up. So you could have traded less to take, to get to the sixth spot and have taken him. Whereas Justin Fields, I could at least understand the logic of there was a good, he kind of, his draft stock has dropped over the past couple of weeks, but at the time they made the trade, the expectation was he's going two or three. So if you want to take him, you got to get to the three spot. Yeah. And it's, it's the classic Daniel Jones giants scenario is what you're describing where I didn't have a problem with the giants taking Daniel Jones. I had a problem with them taking them with their first first round pick when he would have definitely been available with their second first round pick. And I don't care what anyone says about, we didn't want to risk it. There was no way anyone was taking him before that second pick they had in the first round. And that's kind of what you're saying with, with Mac Jones is you trade up all that way when you probably could have traded into the ninth spot and still gotten them. I, I, they could have definitely put it this way. Mac Jones. They saw the scenario of what they would have had to have given up because they watched the dolphins trade their pick to move back to six. So they could have, we've, we see what it would have taken for them to go to six and Mac Jones would have been available, almost certainly would have been available at six. So they look really, really terrible if they then draft Mac Jones at three and they've basically given the dolphins a ton to just move back to six. I, I've, never, I don't know. I've never actually watched a draft. Is it enjoyable to watch? Cause I know there's a bit of like pomp and ceremony to it, but with COVID like can't be the same. 
don't most owners I, like bid remotely as well and do their stuff? I don't care. Like the part that excites me isn't the part where like they call someone on the stage and he like wears like holds up the jersey. I think the part that's neat about watching the draft is as soon as that person's drafted, they just start going through like all the pros and the cons and they have like all the nice footage of like the highlights. It's it's really cool. Like it, they're spot on with just as soon as that person's drafted, the guy's ready to talk about him for like a minute and a half. And it may be, okay, first round, you kind of have an idea. But once they get into like the fifth or sixth round and Mel Kuyper is still spouting out these random facts about this guy playing like a division two university, it gets pretty impressive. I mean, this is the guy who spends his life doing it. He knows everything about these kids. It's pretty cool. And I do like the COVID. I find it more, I found last year more interesting because seeing inside people's houses and the different setup they had, obviously that had the, you know, like the, some people stunning people like coaches with different contrasting setups, whether they were just in a basement or in an amazing house with an incredible view. The um, Kingsbury. <laughs> exactly. But you also get it just from the players. It's interesting to see like who made their COVID bubble who, you know, what's their life at home situation like before they're about to become an NFL superstar, like Joe Burrow. You got to see him last year just on the couch with his parents for in the fundamentally, most like, middle life American household. Yeah. It seen. looked exactly like what you would imagine some kid growing up in middle America, Ohio. Yeah. It's the couch you would have pictured in your, in your mind, but you know, and it's cool. It's the, it's, it's rare to be able to see the instant at which someone's life totally changes. You know, like yeah. the moment that person's name is called, it's a check for X number of million dollars. It's the dream that they've always had. And even though Trevor Lawrence knows he's going to be an NFL player, it's still that moment where it happens. I think that's quite, that's what I like about drafts versus the idea of like a player coming through an academy and working their way up. Yes, you get the debut or whatever, but you really get to see like a switch is flicked and it's like, now your dream has come true right here and right now. Yeah. Um, and for me, what I find interesting is like this idea that the USA is a big place, right? And when you're lower down the drafts, like, okay, the first round picks can probably map out where they're going to go, where they're going to live and all that kind of stuff. But when you go lower down, you've got some guy where he's like, I genuinely have no idea where I'm going to be living next year. Like that must be kind of interesting. Like that must be quite weird. Like no idea where your family's going, where your like wife or girlfriend's going, how far you're going to be from like family or parents. Like that must be a bit weird that you're just waiting for someone to say, oh, you're going to LA now. Oh, but I live in New York. Shit. Yeah. For the, for the, for the players lower down the draft too, because if you're going to be drafted in the say, Third round onwards, you probably have no idea where you're going. No idea. You just sat there waiting for someone to call out. Other if you're city. even in first or second round, you've probably been able to narrow it down. I'm probably going to one of these four or five destinations. But if you're just a wide receiver who is going to be drafted third round onwards, you could end up anywhere. Or you could just end up not being drafted, even if you're supposed to be a third round draft prospect so like it's got to be nerve-wracking and then yes it's also like getting a weird job transfer and having no clue what was coming almost what's the one place you don't want to hear keep but yeah i think you also have to keep into account the 
the team. quality of the team too, right? Because like one would probably say like Buffalo, it's probably miserable, but Buffalo is pretty good. So yeah. it wouldn't be the worst thing going there. Well, I remember, so I, I saw Ryan Leaf on TV and he was talking about how he told the Colts that he didn't want to go to Indianapolis. So that was in the the Leaf versus Manning draft. And he wanted to go to San Diego. Like that's where he wanted to go. So he basically told the Colts, don't draft me, not interested. I want to go to San Diego at two. And he then said, that was probably a mistake because I thought too much about climate. And I didn't think about the fact that I was going to be throwing to Marvin Harrison and the kind of all the other, like the Colts were a team that were going to be good. Whereas the chargers were iffy. So yeah, you definitely have to factor in. I would probably, honestly, Detroit. I'd say. Detroit not, can't be but, that great. So we're factoring in the, the stature of the team and the quality yeah. of the city ultimately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I'm going to say the jets. And I know that New York seems like a really great destination, but the team historically sucks. Will probably continue to suck for almost your entire career. Like that's a big rebuild that's going to have to happen. So if you're having a 10-year career, which is already pretty good for an NFL player, you're probably not going to see them being great. And then you throw in, although New York's a great place to live, you're not getting bang for your buck. As an you know, as an NFL player, yeah, well, I mean, right? you're probably living in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, you're you're paying top dollar. So, I if I'm gonna suck, I'd rather go somewhere where either the climate's amazing or I'm getting maximum impact. What about Denver, can't imagine Denver would be fun. Denver would be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Skiing, fun great out outdoor life, great brewery Baltimore? scene. Yeah, tons of beer, legalized weed, which for NFL players is huge. But how about Baltimore versus Washington? You probably live in close to Washington either way, right? I don't know where Baltimore players live, but they don't live in Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) um, Baltimore would probably be pretty low down on the list, actually. Although I would love the chance to play where like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed played. If I was a defensive player, that would that would be a sell for me. Yeah, like you just don't. No, you a notorious just, defensive team, you know. I just don't, you just have don't to live there. And you don't take any limo rides with Ray Lewis. <laughs> Houston, are we are we sold in on going to Houston? Well, I was looking actually on Houston. I was looking on some of the various like review things online, and and great great massages. That's <laughs> one thing that's consistently been said. A and night out with Sean. We don't joke about <laughs> sexual assault. Oh. Cincinnati? Cincinnati would be pretty low on my list. I've only ever flown through there, so I can't really comment on the city itself. I've never... That's been my experience of it. On For some reason, occasions. I didn't associate that with transferring. I just thought you meant like I've flown over it. No, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big, air, it's a big hub, Cincinnati. Atlanta? People love Atlanta. Yeah. And you're playing in a dome, which is nice. Controlled temperature all year. (laughs) How about, would you like to go to the Raiders and play and be in Vegas? No. Too much. Too much Vegas. 
Too much. It would be too much. Too much. I mean, for you starters, I'm play. You'd just be in the book. You'd be in the uh, My NFL career would be three weeks for starters. That's <laughs> that's a guarantee. And I'm not sure which one of my vices would be my downfall. That would be the interesting part. It would be, we know. We know. <laughs> no, you don't know. Because is it is it going to be the gambling? Is it going to be staying out all night? Am I going to just turn up to practices having never been to sleep for the first week of my like NFL career? Or, the, or that other vice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, those are the two just collapse on the field i don't i'm not sure which one would take me out first it would be an interesting experiment maybe i can call the raiders up see if they'll let me live it out i think i don't know which one would take you down but i think gambling would be the one that's triggered them all <laughs> no I, honestly i actually think i mean either way if i were an nfl player i would take my career seriously i do think actually the going out would much more likely be my downfall than the gambling. For starters, anyway, I'm not a big casino person. And like casino, that to me is a thing I like to do every once in a while, the like roulette and blackjack and stuff. I'm not going to go and sit at a, ta- at a blackjack table for 48 hours. Like it's just not going to happen. And so I think the issue would be the temptation of just partying. And but Vegas partying also isn't my type of partying. I don't really want to go to clubs and stuff. But and then like if I had just different friends come, you know, if like the first four <laughs> weeks of me being in the NFL was like a different friend visiting each week, and it's like, well, we got to go out. That's how my career could be over before it begins. That must be the most annoying part of Vegas is when you live there and you have friends maybe from abroad or further afield. They're like, oh my god, we got to do Vegas, and you're like. <sighs> Yeah, you're really? you're taking them to like that to? same bar and that same restaurant every time. Yeah. All right, last one I, out of these three: Minnesota, Green Bay, or sh- Chicago. Which one would you so, not want to be in? So, really, which one is least frustratingly cold? Chicago would be high up on my list of places I'd want to be. Like, really nice city. So, Chicago would be pretty high. Okay. Would you rather live in Lambeau or in Minneapolis and be part of the Packers or be part of the Vikings? Play inside or play outside? It's tough because part of me wants to say I'd rather live. I think Green Bay would be a hassle. Like being a Green Bay Packer and then it's a pretty small town. It must just be nonstop people stopping you really nicely. But like to live your normal life as a Green Bay Packer must be difficult in that area whereas i feel at least maybe they're really respectful maybe but they seem like if if there were a fan base that would be respectful it It, would be green bay it does seem that way but still you got to know that you walk into a place and everyone knows who you are whereas i i could be in the twin cities and maybe fade into the background a little bit so the only other nfl news i have is i thought sam I don't know if he's seen, but his team unveiled some new jerseys. Did you see that? I did not see. No. Oh, here, I'll I'll share the screen and you can live react to your new Cincinnati Bengal unis. We can use this as clickbait. (laughs) So there they are. What do you think? I, I really can't identify the difference. Oh, it's a major difference. The white one is completely different. The white one used to have like the tiger stripes on the shoulders. See? So now instead of having like shoulder pads of orange so, and black. So it doesn't have just, orange. 
Yeah, it's a pretty radical. Di- what were you expecting, Sam? <laughs> I I don't think it's that radical. I I don't. It's just they've lost the orange on the shoulder pads. No, and the number style is different. Like yeah. if you look at his nine, it's got like a it's, tiger it's, claw. It says Bengals. It says Bengals on the front instead of just having the logo. Okay. Okay. The whole thing is unpacking more now. Yeah. I it's prefer, a pretty radical difference. I prefer the newer one. Yeah. Pretty nice. I wouldn't buy one. They seem astronomically high. Uh, well, NFL I, jerseys. I mean, we, we've. I think we've maybe discussed this before, but buying football jerseys is a really tough one because you really can't wear it around it's not a wearable jersey like i know you guys don't wear like european football around but like if i buy for instance like an arsenal jersey i'll wear it you know like it doesn't look that bad i've seen sam wearing a t-shirt i've seen sam wearing arsenal kits they fit like normal t-shirts so they're fine but you can't walk around in an nfl jersey it looks like you're wearing a dress So you have to do, you have to decide there. You either wear this shirt Put it over a hoodie. Would, yeah, that's the one move. You can do that, which in cold weather looks fine. Or you do the one move, which is you, you wear the jersey size that you would really wear if you were playing. Or you're the real loser. And then you go like several <laughs> jersey sizes fitting. too small. So that <laughs> then you've, it like fits like a shirt should fit, but it looks like you shrunk your jersey in the wash several times. The hoodie's the way to go. The hoodie would be the way to go with the jersey. But you need the right climate. Difficult to pull off in Miami. Yeah. yeah. San Diego might have trouble with that. I mean, that's the best part of London, right? When they have the games at Wembley is you see all of the kits. And that's kind of... That always slightly annoys me. When you just see like, like I don't know, like dolphins play bills or something like that. And you just see a load of like Green Bay tops. And you're like, what? why? I get it, you know, like football. Obviously, NFL fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you, it's it just. It, I appreciate it's a little bit different because obviously there's only one game and you're never going to have a London club. But if like you had an Arsenal Spurs game and someone just walked in with a Man U top, you'd be like, <laughs> you'd, you'd be like, what? That's no, that's the strangest thing in the world to me. Yeah, it will never make sense. Just never makes sense. I guess you're the only time showing seen... that you have paid money for a top. Like I guess what the you're only, in football, I guess the only time you kind of see it is you do see people go to the World Cup and they've bought a ticket and they don't know which match. They've entered the World Cup lottery. They don't, you, you see it in rugby too. They don't know which team they're going to go see. They obviously do before they actually physically attend. But the moment at which they just tried to buy World Cup tickets, they don't know where they're going. And they will turn up to like Germany against Slovakia wearing an England top. You'll you'll see in the in the stands that people are wearing random shirts, and in rugby you'll see England against Fiji, and there's a bunch of South Africans randomly sitting in a place. Yeah, it's kind of those neutral events, right? Um, that you're going to get that. So, yeah, like in a bar as well in the UK, if you've got like three games on a Saturday, you know, like a midday game, a four o'clock game, and a seven game or whatever, you're going to get like a clash of shirts, but Never at a ground. I guess switching gears slightly, staying on to sports, but also bring television into the mix. The Ted Lasso season two teaser trailer dropped this week. And I'll tell you what, it looks like they're bringing the fire again in season two. Looked pretty good. Really big news, though. 
that Sam told me because he's seen not seen the season one, but has seen that there the trailer for season two did come out. But the really exciting news is, do you know which day season two drops? July twenty third. And do you know what July twenty third is? No, Samuel Jones's birthday. <laughs> oh, that is fitting. <laughs> the world has given him Ted Lasso season two as the best birthday birthday present he could have wished for. Tim Cook yeah, has been very that. generous to me. So yeah, I got my plan on the Saturday, on whatever day it is, I guess. But yeah, okay. For now, Sam, your birthday—you just have to binge watch the entire season. That's those are your birthday plans. You don't get to see friends. You don't get to go out. Nothing. Just every episode. <laughs> a bit of a power play from you, isn't it? In fairness, actually, well, you could watch. You could watch it all basically before lunch. So yeah. it's not. They're only thirty-minute episodes, so you could be done with it well before any other plans come into play. And we've only had a year was, and a half to watch it. Yeah. By that by that time. I'll probably still be panicking. It'll probably get to like June and I'll completely forget that I haven't watched it. And I'll need to like do some panic watching. But I guess that's not the only sports television show that we have dedicated our time to. <laughs> because we have a new episode of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. <laughs> In in the in the review box. So what do we think? This show is it's rising, right? It's it's getting up there. The bread's just in the oven. It's slightly rising with the yeast. You know, a couple at the start. It was like, what's going on here? Nothing's happening. Now you can see that dough rising. Yeah, the Mighty Ducks. It's it's becoming a really good program. No, yeah. it's not overly. <laughs> what i don't get one thing i don't get right is there's a point in it where he's talking about asking uh the main kid i can't remember his name to sleep over evan and they're they're sexualizing it again they're making it sound like he's going to ask him out on a date the way he like approaches it with his friend and you'll know if it's right you'll yeah i i get what i get what but again we've spoken about the issue before where it it's true the problem with the original Mighty Ducks is you had jokes there that you got as an, on an adult level. And that's obviously one of those that you're supposed to get on an adult level. And as a kid, you take it a totally different way. It's just, it's too obvious. And the show as a whole doesn't take that approach. So it just sticks out as being kind of inconsistent with the humor of the rest of the show. Yeah. And, and you know, they had a the perfect example, Eddie, for not being able to hit the joke on two levels they had when they were, when all the moms were introducing themselves and then they had the dad <laughs> introduce himself and the joke along the lines was, you know, like my wife was out late cause the blueprints were due, but it turns out the blueprints uh, were, were like Tom. Named, were called Tom. Yeah. But they just missed on the joke because like, the way you, if you replace the word Tom with blueprints, it's like Tom was due, but that doesn't make sense. But if you, if it was like, she had to stay late to, to like ride out the blueprints or like, you know, it was doing oh, blueprints Yeah, that would have worked on a mighty you know what I mean? program. It turns out she was no, riding but, but kids wouldn't have <laughs> Kids wouldn't have gotten like the sexual part of the joke. They would have understood that like she was with a guy named Tom, but like you could have easily had like the, you know, like doing Tom or like like riding Tom or something like something that would have been funnier on both levels, but like the blueprints were due. Turns out the blueprints were Tom. Not as good. Well, can we just address that character? That character sucks. <laughs> can we just, the, the like, dad. 
why did they have to just castrate the human tripod's dad in front of us? Like, why, why is that? Why is that the role he had to take? I mean, just <laughs> what an absolute loser. They did have a good joke in there, though. The joke about the city is a legitimate joke because anyone who lives in the Northeast is so annoyed at the people that are just like, yeah, you know, like I just live in the city. I work in the city. And they're like, what? What city? And she's like, "Uh, New York. (laughs) You know, like that was a pretty good one. Yeah, that wasn't bad. Look, the joke. The the comedy was slightly better. I think it's the worst episode. Really? Because the plot line that Gordon Bombay doesn't care about hockey, but he does care about milf hunting. That's the bit. He likes a yummy (laughs) mummy. Gordon Bombay sees yummy mummies. He won't come back for the hockey stick out. Won't come back for the kids, but will come back for the the vajayjay. You know, that's the bit. (laughs) That's the bit that I've got got to take issues with. What did you just jump into 1998 there? Especially especially in in a kid's show. It's just... Oh, the hand... How long did it take, episode-wise, for the hand on the hip to come on teaching her how to play hockey? Only three episodes it took. Till he slightly puts the hand on the hip to show her how to use her hips in the slap shot. It was it was a bit weird right at the end as well when he just turns up with the dessert. And also, it's not a full dessert. So has he <laughs> eaten like half the dessert on the way? And it's no. like, oh, I brought dessert. Sam, like, somehow the humor of the Mighty Ducks has gone over your head. Okay. The missing part of the dessert is the slice that he showed her. Oh, no, it, to me, it looked like almost all of it was gone, not just the slice. No, no, no. But but it's that pie, if you see what I mean. He's cut yeah, yeah. the slice of the pie to show her the slice from the side of the rink. But he just walked around with that pie all day. <laughs> well, well, he just he just <laughs> went. I mean, that's the I have more issue with the fact where did he put that slice of pie on a piece of plate on a piece of plate <laughs> until oh, the moment? It. No, until the moment when he went, Hey, oh. <laughs> like this creepy guy. who's like, Oh, now the mums are involved. I'm just how many, how many people, how, into it. but, but how many people stopped him? You know, he went in like, he went and bought the pie. Then he was probably like up uh, with the, whoever, the cocoa girl, he was up there like cutting the pie out and you put it on a paper plate and she's like, Oh, aren't you going to eat that before you go down and coach? Like during the contest? No, 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 I'm going to take it to the, take it to the ring. Sure, it won't be a little bit weird if the, the coach is there eating pie. No, 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 I'm not going to eat it. It's for a very crucial bit of. It's inspirational. Yeah. It's an inspirational piece of pie. Well, yeah. <laughs> what do you want about the podcast, kid? I mean, is at this point basically carrying this show because I also enjoyed the part where he goes down and then. Evan does the somersault away and then he tries to do like the somersault and kind of just like rolls around the floor a little bit. Like he's the only comedic relief of this show at this point. He's the best character by far. The, the, the issue they have is the main character sucks. Not that's he, he's not carrying his weight in this show. That's where, and, and in a sense, I'll say that's why episode four, best episode because he is not heavily involved wait episode four yeah wasn't this episode four wasn't oh yeah yeah. Four? oh yeah <laughs> wait you, you, got thought, you said it wasn't a good episode and now you're saying it's the best episode 
No, I said the only reason it might be the best episode oh. is because he was the least involved. Although he did have his best line of the show, which is when the parents are talking to the girl and they're like, oh, who's, the model UN line? who's going to represent Belgium? <laughs> and he stands up and he goes, I'll represent Belgium. I will say that was actually kind of funny. And, yeah. the, and also them reacting to being like, that wasn't the point that, yeah. That was actually okay. And that's also the moment when my favorite line came out, which I sent to Frank as a, please let make sure I don't forget to say this. And the line being, I'm going to be brutally honest, but don't bothers or losers. And the mother of the girl saying that just in front of everyone, just again, just like what an awful human being she is that she just in front of a bunch of kids just outright calls them losers. Um, just a great moment. She's playing mind games. She, she wants to really bring them down. Like she's, she clearly sees them as a threat. Otherwise she wouldn't be playing those kind of mind games. But that was the big moment, right? You had the, the moment that the Mighty Ducks called out the mother for going over the line. It's the moment then that her parents realize I'm actually surprised they put the twist on it that the, the dad realized how important and happy it was to her and how happy it made her because in the moment it made it look more as if they realized how awful the mighty ducks were. Like when they cut to yeah, the dad yeah. sitting there and he kind of is like looking and even the mother who's at that moment for some reason had made her way sort of down to the ice, which didn't make sense. But, <laughs> but the, the look on the two parents faces was kind of like, Oh, this is, these guys These are assholes. Are, yeah. <laughs> and that's, I was expecting the dad to say this saying, you were right. The Mighty Ducks are awful people. But instead it was, like, which I guess I haven't seen you this happy in a long time. That's a good reason. But I thought the other excuse was coming. Now, my question is, they're having a mom skills competition and the Mighty Ducks have an Olympic female hockey player. Why is she not taking the hardest shot versus a 60-pound woman who can barely well, hold the stick taking it? Gordon Bombay calls the shots with the bums. He said, you're doing no, it. No, no, the no, other no, no, team, the Mighty the Ducks. Team. The, the team Mighty that, Ducks. Oh, well, it, here, here's a, there's two skills contests that she definitely should have been part of if she's a former Olympic hockey player. Either the, the speed, slaps, uh, slap shot speed contest, or the target contest, which they <laughs> lost they lost yeah. that so obviously if it was her that's embarrassing that an olympic uh former olympian lost to just a, a someone who hadn't played any hockey until three days before but one of those two is where you have to place her yeah. they're wasting uh, her if, if they're just relying on her speed because you can get speed from someone else well i think they also i think the ducks also lost the speed competition to the new yorker who jogged in the park with her daughter because that translates if you jog, you are a super quick ice skater. Little known fact. Everyone should know that. Are those mom's events a thing? I've never heard of that. So when I was a kid on, on a swim team in Salt Lake City, uh, we had a day where the dads competed. So we did have that. N not mothers, but there was like, I specifically remember not long before you would go to state champion. As you know, it was after state championship when the season was kind of over. You had a day where A, all the swimmers competed against each other in like fun contests. And then the dads would join in for relays. And they'd also specifically 
would do corkscrew, which is like when you do freestyle, but after as you pull down on the freestyle, you roll into uh, backstroke. So you rotate freestyle, backstroke, freestyle, back. So if you see wow, what I mean, so if you, that seems you push confusing. your, could you keep it's demonstrating a, for me? Ed? <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure you understood it, but it's, it's a challenge. You get very dizzy and making sure you go straight is actually kind of a skill. You have to be quite a good swimmer to pull it off wow. to maintain any real direction. But, uh, I remember that and they do things like throw a watermelon to the bottom of the pool and like to the deep end and you you kind of go underwater and kind of fight to you'd play like underwater football to try and get the watermelon back to your side stuff like that did you ever used to do survival training in the pool you know where you'd have to go in in like pajamas uh because obviously if you if you fell in the water you would have clothes on so the idea is that they would teach you how to like I, tread water and float, but you would have clothes on. I wasn't sexually molested. Well, because they're not going to be like pajamas. wear some jeans. They're not going to be like covered and wear some jeans. It's, it's meant to this be easier because this is where we find out that every once in a while, like Sam's uncle Jim would wake him up in the middle of the night, take him for a <laughs> swim, and then spend a lot of time drying him off very carefully. <laughs> I thought it was a common thing. You you pick on Uncle Jim a lot because you also picked on me one episode with my Uncle Jim because he messaged me (laughs) like after listening to the episode. (laughs) So maybe, Eddie, you have the Uncle Jim that has an issue. Don't have an Uncle Jim. Do have an Uncle Tim. (laughs) Maybe I've been trying to keep him. (laughs) I changed one letter in order to protect his identity. Yeah, so overall, Mighty Ducks in a pretty stagnant pond right now. Episode but, three was the best for me. This one, mm, I don't. I don't need to watch it again. I, I so get my recap, question though. is: is how long is it going to take before they go from being completely terrible, unable to skate and shoot, to all of a sudden competitive? Is this a two-episode swing, or is two this episodes. a full full season? I'm assuming next episode, Gordon Bombay is coaching them. And then episode, then they probably show significant improvement in that episode alone. And then episode six, they're pretty good. And I think one more good player is going to appear. I don't think so. I think they could have gone quite a good way with this. We spoke about it like a few weeks ago with the idea of like being some sort of like they never get anywhere. I think... If they had got to the end, they'd still never won. They had got a little bit better every time, but they're still losing. But at the end of it, they're all happy and they're all glad for the journey and the experience and they're all closer. That would have been a cool story. But now it's going to be like this very obvious trajectory to them having some sort of like last second win or something like that. And it's going to instill false hope in people that you can just put a ragtag bunch of people together and within seven games you can suddenly beat people that are drilled constantly i I just think it gives like a false fairy tale no i i agree with you sam if if the season finale is them beating the ducks then that is complete bs because i don't care who's coaching them even if they get another three good players you're playing a team of twice a day trained 
kids who have been playing since they were like five years old. I mean, they're literally cutting people on the team who's now the captain of the other team. So I think they lose to the Ducks in the final because they have to lose so that there's a season two. If they win in season one, then they have to go down the Mighty Ducks formula that these guys, that they sort of progress to higher and higher levels of hockey. But if you sort of want to have the idea of rolling back the Dome Bothers for season two, then it has to be heartbreak and then redemption. You're making an enormous leap that there will be a season two. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we... it looks as if a mighty uh, season two has been confirmed. And I will further throw in that Rotten Tomatoes, according to the critics reviews, is at 89%. That's amazing. Audience has it at 74%. Well, give us some, give us one or two like short reviews. Okay. Just a couple well, of sentences. There, okay. So Rotten Tomatoes synopsis is Game Changers doesn't quite flip the puck but it has enough heart and good humor to make the Mighty Ducks proud. That's their consensus. You know, the only thing I do say, so like I kind of knew that Emilio Estevez was called Estevez because obviously it was uh, the real name. Family name. uh, The real family name. While watching this, I had to do the thing of kind of looking into it to see why maybe he kept the name and Charlie Sheen didn't and different things. Oh, I know why. You didn't know why? Do you know what Charlie Sheen's real name is? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I thought I thought they changed it because it was too ethnic sounding. So their dad changed it. Yeah. Originally for acting purposes. But then it's kind of weird that the one son decided to. I mean, I guess you could argue that Charlie Sheen's had the more successful career. So he made the right decision if he'd been, you know, Edward Sheen instead of Emilio Estevez, then maybe he's the movie star. But Charlie Sheen's real name is Carlos Irwin Estevez. Sounds and pretty the generic. Int- well, does it? <laughs> Sam, yeah. you, you, and your, your concept names. of names. This is well, Carlos think, Estevez. Wait, you think Samuel Jones is is exciting? <laughs> is it Carlos Estevez? No, I, I just said a little bit more than others. I didn't say <laughs> I on love like this scale. We need. Uh, the only people who will Carlos appreciate Estevez this moment. Seen... The only people who will appreciate this moment is is our dedicated listeners out there who, because that was early on, right? That was probably episode like six or seven when we had the original name discussion. But for those people who have listened, I think we're on about episode eighty in between over the course of the two seasons. That's a callback there that they must think you're almost making it up. That you just think you have. Oh, here's a moment to say how bland and standard this name is. He's furiously googling now to try and see tell us how common Estevez or Carlos are as a name as names. Carlos has reached the top ten most popular boys' names two times in the U.S. How many times has Sam reached it? And how many people have the last name Jones? And how many people have the last name Estevez? Which I'm not saying Estevez is not super uncommon, but way more. I mean, not super common. But uncom- but way more uncommon than Jones. There was a former shooting guard in basketball called Sam Jones, born 1933. Wow. But here, here's the interesting thing on this, though, right? So Charlie Sheen, uh, Charlie Sheen. Um, so Martin Sheen changes his name. 
His name was Ramon Antonio Gerardo Estevez. He changes his name so that he can have a successful acting career. It's then interesting that he gave his children, like, even if obviously they're going to keep his real last name Estevez, it's surprising to me, not saying that he should have done, but it's surprising to me that you thought it was so important for your own career to change your name that you wouldn't have just called them Charlie Estevez. The fact that you double down on the full Spanish name when you think that it might hurt them in certain areas. It's kind of kind of weird. I, I thought you could just take a stage name anyway. I didn't really get the point. Of- yeah, yeah, you register your name with the Actors Guild or whatever, and it has to be a unique name, right? So yeah. I do that. I do. But you see what I'm saying is like, I'm at what point did Charlie Sheen stop calling himself Carlos and start calling himself Charlie? Well, maybe Martin Sheen did it and then realized that that wasn't the way to go and that you should embrace your culture and, and your name. And he told Emilio, who listened, and he told Charlie, who didn't. And, and look what instantly. happened as adults. All right, well, talk to you boys later. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.